Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. All right, if you would open up your bulletin, I want to share with you today on the topic of love. You know, I can't recall the last time we had a Sunday like today. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Where we had Super Bowl Sunday and Valentine's Day weekend in the same weekend. Right? We always usually have a Super Sunday. We all invite you to wear your jersey. Some of you are, and you look nice, especially if you got a Rams one. Um, but today is also Valentine's Day. So, so we had a little bit of a, a, of a tension. We were like, well, what do we celebrate, the Super Bowl or Valentine's? And, and the Bible made it, made it clear, right? There's no greater thing than love. So we're going to celebrate love. I hope you celebrate Super Bowl Sunday. How many are going for the Eagles? Let's see. Where's the Eagle fans? Okay, a couple. Where's the Chief fans? All right. I'm rooting for the Chiefs as well. I'm rooting for the Chiefs as well. Well, being that we're celebrating Valentine's Day weekend, I want to talk about love. But I want to I set some of you at peace. I'm not going to talk about love in the context of marriage. I'm not going to talk about love in the context of romantic relationship. I want to talk about love in the context of relationships, period. Relationships with your siblings, relationship with your mom, relationship with your mother-in-law, relationship with your neighbors, relationship with your co-workers, you know. And, and here's, here, here's, here's what, I, what I would want you to know or, or how I would want to start. If I were to go and interview those around you and ask them, how well is he, how well is she at loving, what do you think they would say? How would they grade you? You know, I think that talking about love and loving are two worlds apart. And what I want to do today is I want us to go to God's word. Well, number one, to understand love a little bit more clearly, because I think in our culture, it's gotten really confusing. And a lot of young people think that love equals sex. So we want to look at God's word to, to get a definition of love. But most importantly, most importantly, I believe that we got, have to learn how to love better. Amen? And I'm, I'm going to share one thing with you that I believe it's the difference maker. I believe that it is the thing that will change the way you love and you can't find it anywhere else but in God. Are you ready with me? Well, would you stand? Let's read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 9. You may be familiar with this passage, but look at what it says. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have what? Love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am what? If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain 
Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily anger. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love, what? But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we, we, we are in your presence, Father. When we come together, that is where you send your blessing. And Lord, where your weight of glory comes upon us, Lord. So we know we're in your presence. Lord, we want to be transformed. We don't want to walk out of here worse or the same like we walked in. We want to be able to say, I had an encounter with the living God. There is something different that is going to take place in my life because I have spent time in his presence and in his word. Father, I pray you give us knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, but that you also give us the power through the Holy Spirit to transform and change the way we live according to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. We all have a definition of love in our minds. When you hear the word love or when you think about love, there's a automatic definition that you have because we all know something about love. No matter how old you are, no matter uh, where you came from, we all know something about love. We sing about love. We watch movies about love. We read books about love. Love, you could say, is just part of what it means to be human. So here's my question for you. How would you define love? How would you evaluate, explain love? Because as I said earlier, to talk about love, it's one thing. To love, it's a whole nother. In fact, can we just be honest? Love is hard. Most of us have a very positive definition of what love is. Love is butterflies. Love is chocolates. Love is a romantic date. Love is massaging my stinky feet, right? We, we all have a definition of love, a positive one. But nobody says, man, love is hard. Love hurts. Love disappoints. Love has a high price at times. And unfortunately, too commonly in our day, yes, love fails. And because love is not this romantic ideological thing that sometimes we watch in movies or sometimes we read in books and we realize that love is actually hard, we've learned to respond to love. We respond in many different ways. Some people respond cynically and they say, oh man, all churches are the same. All men are the same. All Mexicans are the same. All Democrats are the same. We, we, we become cynical. Other people respond to love with a stoic attitude. Well, I guess it is what it is. My grandma endured words. Why can't I? And, and they have an approach of a martyr where they have to kind of just put up with hardship because love is more negative than positive in their eyes. 
Other people respond to love by avoiding risk. They avoid the risk of loving again because they don't want to be hurt again. And they say stuff like, I'll never again give myself to another community. I'll never again open up my heart to another person. I'll never again trust another man. Because what they've done is that they've responded to the pain that sometimes love causes by avoiding the risk. And yet, worst of all, and if you're young, this is my concern for you as you're growing up in this, in this current time. We've reduced love to, to something that is so much less than what it actually is. And I hear a lot of the young generations say, well, I just do to others what others do to me. That's not love. I hear the young generation say, well, as long as I don't hurt anybody else, and you fill in the blank. Or, or they say, and I hear this in adults too, well, so-and-so knows I love them. I don't have to show it because they ought to know I love them. Well, you know the thing about that? Especially if you're like a husband or a dad and, you know, you're one of those tough men that's not very expressive in love. And you would say, well, but my kids and my wife knows I love them. The problem with that is that they can't see your heart and they can't read your mind. But they can't feel your actions. Right? And, and, and we've reduced love to so many things. Now, here's the, the positive side of that. On a good day, on a good day, we would all agree that love is actually good. Yes, it hurts, it disappoints, it betrays, sometimes it fails. But love is a good thing, right? We would, on a good day, we would say, yes, love is a good thing. It's good to be in a community of other believers where we are loved. It's good to have somebody to love and to love you back. It's good to have a significant other. It's good to have a family where love is tangible, where love is freely given. We, on a good day, we would agree that. And not only would we agree that love is good, on a good day, we would agree that we want to be known as loving people. I don't think anybody wants to go to their deadbed and, and to have the knowledge that people think of you as a, as, a, as a greedy person, as a mean person, as a bitter person, as a hurtful per, as a hateful person, as a person disconnected. We all want to go to our deadbed knowing that not only were we loved, but that we loved others. Now, going back. How do you define love? If you had to define love, how would you define it? You know, the, the really good thing is that God does it for us. God defines love for us. And, and, and 1 Corinthians 13 is one of those very well-known passages. And, and, and it's very likely, and it's very likely that when you think of 1 Corinthians 13, you think of a wedding or you think of a Valentine's Day card. But but a perfect wedding in a romantic dinner is not the context in which 1 Corinthians 13 takes place. It's not even between a man and a woman. But 1 Corinthians 13 is written to a church that is struggling with disunity, that is struggling with gossip, that is struggling with problems. And it is in this, in this context of a Christian community that Paul says, let me tell you what love is. And he defines it. And you know what I love about God? That when he defines love, he doesn't water it down for us. He, 
he puts up the flame a little bit more and he elevates the standards to what love ought to be. He doesn't say, well, love is good intentions. As long as, as, long as you intended well, that's all that matters. God doesn't say, well, well, you know, as long as, as long as you try five days out of the seven days, it doesn't matter if those two other days, you know, were, were really bad. No, God, he turns up the flame on his definition, right? So as Paul addresses this Christian community in the middle of their confusion and arguments and disunity and maybe even some hate, he tells them three very important things about love. Because it begins with knowledge, but then it needs to move into our hearts so that it can move into our actions. And I just want to look at the three powerful statements or, or truths that uh, Paul alludes to, to help us love better. Not just our spouse, not just our children, but even the person sitting in front of you and behind you. Even the person that cuts you off. Even the person that steals your lunch at work. <laughs> Amen? So let's look at those, at those three things. Number one, when it comes to love, the first thing that we need to remember that Paul points is that without love, and this is a big one, we are nothing. Without love, we are nothing. We are nothing. That's, that's what Paul says in the first three verses. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only what? A resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just noise. In fact, I'm not just noise. I'm a nuisance. Right? Because it's one thing to hear somebody play the guitar well, and it's, um, and it's another thing to have a four-year-old hit the guitar, right? It's like, dude, I'll pay you to stop playing it. Number two. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am what? I am successful. I am recognizable. I am at the peak of the mountain. Paul says, I am nothing. And just in case you think, well, you know, those, those things have to do with secular things. But what about the spiritual things? Well, look at what he says next. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I what? I gain nothing. The first thing that Paul wants the Corinthian church to understand is the importance of love. And he says, love it's not a, a, an addition to who you are. Love defines who you are. Love ought to define. It is not something that we ought to take lightly or passively. Because here's the first thing that Paul wants us to understand. Without love, we are nothing. And he alludes to three things that to the Corinthian church were very important things. Now, these may not be important to you, so you can substitute them with your kids, with your job, with your financial stability. You can substitute them with your friendships or whatever it is. But Paul alludes to three things that were very important. And the first thing is he says, he says, if I, can, if I have such eloquence that I can speak to the amazement of other people, and if I could speak the, the language of angels or like an angel, and he says, but I got no love, God is not impressed. People may be, oh, look how educated they are. Look, look how well-spoken they are. But he says, God is not impressed because without love, I am nothing but noise. 
And then he says, well, let's suppose that you had this knowledge, this theological knowledge, right? You knew the word of God in and out. You could explain its mysteries and you could teach it and you could preach. And he says, but if you, if you, don't, if you don't have love, says, you're nothing. You can lead people to Christ. You can teach people about Christ. But if you, have, if you don't have love, check this out. You are nothing. And he takes it to the spiritual realm next, right? He says, if you're willing to suffer for your faith, if you're willing to be a martyr for your faith, if you're willing to forsake everything in this world, which is something that we are not easily willing to do. He says, if you're willing to forsake everything in this world, but you do not love, he says, God is not impressed. God is not pleased. Because without love, we are nothing. You want to know how powerful love is? You could turn those statements around and, it, and they're true. That means that you may never know an angelic language. That may mean that you may never be able to decipher theological concepts. That may mean that you may never have to die for your faith. But if you have loved, God is pleased with you. That is what matters. If our relationships, if we are not, if we are not at the highest peak, but our relationships are defined by love, then we, we, we have what pleases God. We have what matters to God. And that's, that's how powerful love is. Listen, God is not asking you to do great feats or great deeds or, or to, to, to do wonderful things. He's asking you to do something very simple that has a great outcome. And that is to love other people. That is to love. Now, isn't it interesting that if, if love, if without love we are nothing, shouldn't love be our highest goal? Shouldn't we set goals to be better at loving other people. I mean, we set goals to save money. We set goals to accomplish our careers. We set goals to lose weight. When was the last time you set a goal to help you love better? I, 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 I've made a commitment to God about a month ago, three, three weeks, four months ago. And it's a simple one. And it came from love. Okay, and I'm going to confess to you, okay? Hopefully you still want me as your pastor after this. You ready? I didn't make this promise to my wife or even my kids. I made it to God. And I said, I'm not going to scream at my kids anymore. I'm not going to be a screamer. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm going to learn to love them better. And it's been hard. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Because I find myself kind of raising my voice, deepening my voice. But I said, I'm not going to scream. I want my kids to grow up in a home where I love them enough to stop and talk to them, explain to them, teach them. You know why we scream? Because we want to scare them into doing whatever it is we want them to do or to stop doing whatever it is we want them to stop doing. So when was the last time you set a love goal? You know what? Instead of buying another rim, I'm going to bring flowers to my wife every Friday. Ladies, what was the last time you set a love goal? You know, instead of another purse, I'm going to buy another pair of sneakers. 
Come on, guys, help me out. All right? So, number one thing, if we are to love better, if we're going to love better, is that we need to understand that without love, we are nothing. Second thing that Paul uh, says is that when it comes to love, here's a tough one to admit, we need to admit that we really don't know what love is. We really don't know what love is. We would do well to never assume that we have love figured out. That just because you've been married for 40 years, you figured out love. That just because your kids are grown up, you figured out love. We will never master love. We will never master it. It's one of those things that we can always continue to grow in it. And look at what Paul says about love, right? In verses 4 through 7. He says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily anger, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of what love is. This is not an exhaustive list. But this is a good checkup to see how much we know and how well we're doing with our love. In fact, can we have a little bit, a little bit of fun and do a little quick checkup? I, I'm not going to grade you. You're going to grade yourself. Right? How are you doing with patience? How patient are you at bearing hurts against you that are not your fault how patient are you in a fallen world full of imperfect fallen people love begins with patience we want people to change like this but we want to take our time changing ourselves right see if you only love those who never cross you who never fail you who never disappoint you you're going to find yourself living quite by yourself. So how are you doing with love, with patience? Is your love patient? What about kindness? Because love is kind. Are you a kind person in treating others? Do you cheerfully and freely seek the good of others? See, when love is kind, it's not the same thing as you leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. You stay out of my business and I'll stay out of yours. No, love is kind. Love seeks to cheerfully and willingly do good for other people. Do you go out of your way to intentionally do good to others? Especially, you ready for this? This is going to be a jab. You ready? Especially to those that don't deserve it. Love is kind. How are you doing with envy? How do you deal with envy? Envy is the inability to be happy for other people. In fact, you know how you, the Bible says that we are to guard our heart above all things? One of the ways to check how your heart is doing is to ask yourself, have I secretly celebrated the failure of somebody else? Because if you have, something's wrong with your heart. And envy is the inability to be happy for somebody else. Are you glad when other people, can you be glad when other people receive the good things that you have been asking or working for? Can you pray for others to be blessed in ways 
that you're asking God to bless you and he hasn't done it yet. How are you dealing with envy? What about boasting and pride? What about boasting? Do you look down on others who don't have the character or the career or the house size or the, the car brand that you do? How do you treat those that are under you? How are you doing with boasting and pride? Paul says that love is not self-seeking. Are you primarily concerned about yourself? Did you know that that's the number one problem in our relationships? That we look out for who? We wake up thinking about who? We, 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 we think about food with who in mind? So, so how are you doing with being concerned about others and saying, what would you want? You know what? I hate seafood, but you like seafood. Let's go do it. I, Paul says that love is slow to anger. Now, now, there is a place for righteous anger. We see that in the Bible. But you know what I find that as Christians we do? We give ourselves a lot of leeway in that area. And we call righteous anger, anger that is not righteous. Are you? How are you dealing with anger? Is your love so strong that it causes you to be slow to get angry? Paul says, the next thing he says, is that love keeps record, keeps no record of wrongs. Here's another word that we hate, the F word. Forgiving. Are you forgiving? Forgiving is not denying that you were hurt. Forgiving is not denying that somebody else did something wrong. Forgiving is recognizing that you were hurt, but that you're willing to cover it so that, that, so that a relationship or a person can be healthy. Love keeps record, keeps no record of wrong. When you want to find an excuse to not do something for somebody else, whether it is your mother-in-law or your co-worker, one of the things that we often do is that we, we remember the bad things they do to kind of give us peace, why we shouldn't do what we know God calls us to do. Well, the last time I bought her flowers, she didn't even put them in the base. Why buy her flowers again? Love keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Does your love lead you to gossip about the wrongs of others? Or to speak the truth in love? Because if you gossip, that's not love. But also if you're harsh, that's not love. Speaking the truth in love is love. Right? And then last but not least, Paul says that love perseveres. Listen to me. Real love lasts for a lifetime. Hear me out. Hear me out. I know some of you will push back on this. The real love that God intended for us to have ought to last for a lifetime. Now, if you've gone through a divorce... Or, or a failed relationship, please don't feel like a failure. Don't feel disqualified from the presence of God. Don't feel less loved by God. No. That is one of the realities of living in this fallen world. That we will fail. That we will be imperfect. This week in my devotional, I was, uh, I was reading 
And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the time that they came to Jesus and uh, they asked him about this scenario where a wife marries several husbands and they said, which one will be her husband in heaven? And Jesus says, hey, in heaven, there's no marriage. But what stood out to me is that Jesus didn't say she will not be in heaven because she got divorced seven times. It stood out to me, you know, that Jesus did not say, oh, just because you divorced or you had a failed relationship, you're disqualified from heaven now. In fact, marriage will not be a thing in heaven. You know why? Because we're going to have something greater than, than marriage. We're going to have a greater union. And I do hope, I used to joke around and say, you know what, Lorena? I'm going to be your husband on earth till the day we die. But once we're in heaven, don't, don't, don't come find me. You know? I did my duty. I did my duty. But you know what? When I was a child, I thought like a child and I spoke like a child. I don't think that way anymore. In fact, I pray, God, let her be my neighbor. In fact, if we could live together and you're okay with that, I'd like that, you know? But love never fails. Love endures through circumstances. Why? Because love always trusts, love always hopes, and love always protects. Now, now, here's three things about that list, okay? Here's three quick things about that list. Number one, you can fill this out. Love exists in the context of broken relationships. Love is not this, this concept in a perfect world. Love exists in, a, in, in the context of broken people, imperfect people, broken relationships. This is why love is so hard. Did you notice that a lot of the qualifications that Paul uh, alludes to, they're a respond to sin? He says, love, love, love keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, when people do bad to you, love doesn't keep that record. Because love is not for, for the high and mighty. Love exists in the context of imperfect people, sinful people, and broken relationships. And love is a response to sin, right? But, but, but see, here's the thing. Rather than perpetuating the cycle of sin and saying, well, you did that to me, so I'm going to do that to you. God invites us to a better life. God invites us that when others hurt us, we don't hurt them back. But that we do something greater, and that is to love them. If you think, if you think, which I think society believes that in our day, that your relationship has to be perfect to be loved, that is not true. Because love exists in broken relationships. Amen? Second thing. Love does not originate in others. The love that we're called to give does not begin with other people. Right. Well, why don't you massage my back? Well, because you don't massage my feet. <laughs> right? In a secular world, in the movies, in the books, love is something that somebody else brings out of us. Whether it is through beauty or, or, or a poem or, or an action, love in the secular world begins with other people, but not in the way God describes it. In the way God describes it, love is supposed to not begin with others, but with us. 
it begins with us, but it doesn't start with us. Because in order to keep no record of wrongs, in order to not be prideful or boastful, in order to be slow to anger, in order to be kind, the only way a person can do those things is if that person has been radically transformed by something. And what is that? Well, the third thing is the third observation is that we love because we have been loved by God. Listen to me. You ready for this? It's going to sound a little hard. How many of you guys know God loves you? Did you know God loves you not because you're good? God doesn't love you because you're good. I don't know that any of us could say in this room that we're good. Anybody here can say they're good? I, I can't. I'm not. I'm not good. You know why God loves us? Not because we're good, but because he's good. His love for us doesn't begin with us. It begins with himself. The Bible says that God is love. Not that God has love, that God is love. It is his character. It is his nature. It flows from who he is. And when God's love overflows into our lives, it transforms us to be able to love others, not when they do something or don't do it, but because of who God has been in our life. See, love exists in the context of broken relationships. And love doesn't begin with, with the actions of others. It begins from us, but it is ignited by the love of God in us. I mean, come on, consider, consider your relationship with God. Has God been patient with you? How many times have, haven't some of you come into church and out of church and into a relationship, a relationship with God and then back out? How many of you don't you give reasons for God to be angry at you? Ay, cabezón, you're going to do that again? Otra vez, right? Is God kind to you? Right? Does God keep records of your wrongs? Oh, yeah, Steve, you, don't you remember back in 19? That you, see, and, 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 and when you are mindful of the way God is with you, it's a lot easier to find, to find the work of the Holy Spirit in us to say, well, you know, he's like that, but I'm not going to be like that because God is not like that to me. Can I tell you something? And, and this is the one thing I would want you to take away today, whether you're married or not. We really don't know love until we've known the love of God for us. If you don't know the love of God for you, you're operating on infatuation. You're operating on lust. You're operating on, on romance. But until you know the love of God, you really don't know love. Third thing that Paul wants us to know about love is that love will last longer than the stuff you care about. Love is going to last longer than most of the stuff we care about. Look at how he ends in verses 8 and 9. He says, love never fails, when, but where there are prophecies, they will what? Cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. But where there is knowledge, it will what? It will pass away. Wasting your life on things that will not last is one of the most tragic things you can do. You know, Paul, Paul 
Paul mentions three things and he says, your, your speaking, your knowledge, and your actions, those are good. Those are good. If you can speak the language of angels, if you can discover the mysteries of God, and if you're willing to die for the gospel, those are good things. And he says, but without love, they mean nothing. And you know why they mean nothing? Because at the end of it all, tongues will be ceased. Knowledge will be ceased. But you know what will remain? Love. Love. So, so this is not a discouragement for you to say, well, I shouldn't aim to have a nice house, but never at the cost of your kids feeling loved. This is not, this is not a, a, a discouragement for you to say, well, I, I, I should never save money. No, no, not at the cost of your marriage. This is not a discouragement for you to want to look good and be healthy, but not at the cost of your relationships. Because at the end of it all, what remains is love. And a lot of times we waste our lives. We give our lives away for things that do not matter. Now, now, when is this going to happen? When is it that, that love is going to be all that remains? You know when? When Jesus comes back. In his return. When he returns, we'll know him as he's known. We'll understand him. We'll see him. In fact, look at what 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says. And now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. Now, now, the, the, stay with me in that verse a little bit. That verse is a perfect summary of the Christian life. Right? We live by faith for, oh, because we believe what Christ has done. We hope in Christ's return. We, we have a hope that he's coming back. And we are transformed by the love for God and for one another. But when Christ returns, when Christ comes back, we're not going to need faith anymore. We're not going to need hope anymore. But you know what we are going to still enjoy? Love. So if love is the thing that is going to outlast everything else, why not learn to love better? You know, most of us are looking forward to that day in heaven. And we should. But I think more of us should want to bring some of what's in heaven here on our relationships on earth. You know what eternity, you know what that day is going to be like? When we don't have to have faith anymore or hope anymore and all we get to enjoy is love. You know what that is going to be like? You know what eternity in the future is going to be like? Eternity in the past. And you say, that doesn't make sense, Pastor. Well, let me explain. Before you and I were created, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit enjoyed a perfect loving relationship between themselves. They delighted in one another. They were in communion with one another. And eternity future will be like eternity past. But now you and I will be wrapped up in this relationship and we'll get to enjoy what they enjoyed for so long. So, so if love is going to outlast your Gucci bags, your leather car seats, your 2024 car, 
Why not make love the highest priority? Yeah, let's take care of those leather car seats, but not at the cost of our kids feeling unloved. Yes, let's take care of our house, but not at the cost of our loved ones feeling unwelcome and unloved in our house. Because at the end of it all, what will remain is not that stuff, but will be love. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare Him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but He didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in Him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.